listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. We're going outside today, ladies, for our conversation with a creative. I'm pretty excited about that. I like the outdoors. I think whether or not you like the outdoors, if you like food, you'll mm-hmm. probably like this episode. So we have a very fascinating person on with us in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge today. Erin, take it away. Who is with us today? So today we have Beth Ritzman with us joining the conversation. I was excited to, when we were brainstorming, who would be the next the next woman we brought on to talk about creativity? Beth's, Beth's name came up in our brainstorm. And to me, I was like, well, when God created the world, he made a garden. So clearly gardening is a creative pursuit. Mm. Beth has also a small business, uh, Something Better with Beth, uh, where she she actually sells, you can tell us more about it, but she sells, she sells a lot of the stuff she grows in her garden and gardens on a number of different levels uh, and <laughs> different ways. It's, it's more than just, I don't know what I, what I thought of growing up as, as a garden. So Beth, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Have you, I don't know, have you always loved gardening? Is this something you came to later in life? How did you get to this as a hobby and as a, like an actual vocation? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, thank you guys for having me. And yes, my name is Beth and um, I live here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And as a young mom, I started growing a garden in my little tiny postage stamp backyard in Fort Wayne. And I just really wanted to grow greens and kale and tomatoes. And so I I explored that early on. And then um, as time went on, I went on to go into the mission field with my husband. And that was for several years. And I had a quite a large garden in Papua New Guinea, um, by our standards. Of course, the nationals all felt sorry for me because I had such a small garden and how on earth was I going to be able to feed my family with such a small garden? But to me, it was immense. It was, it was glorious. Um, and now that I'm back here in Fort Wayne, we have a, another smallish backyard, but we went ahead and ripped out the grass back there and we put in raised beds um, right away. So last year we did that. And so this is my second season with this backyard full of raised garden beds. And uh, I've just loved it. I love growing food. I love growing plants and working with nature and God's creation. And I love seeing how he has um, created such uh, interworkings between plants and animals and bugs and pollinators. And it's just, it's Mm. beautiful. I'm curious the difference since you had a garden in Papua New Guinea. Yes. What is the difference between gardening there and gardening here? And like what what could you grow there that doesn't it's not a thing here? Okay. So the the two I would say there's two major differences between gardening there and gardening here that I had to really get used to. The first one was the year-round go- growing season. Oh. So I mean, there was no cycles. We're so used to the cycle of the seasons here in in the States. Mm -hmm. And in Papua New Guinea, it's you're literally just 
as soon as you're putting things in the ground, you're starting new seeds. And mm-hmm. as soon as you're harvesting, you're putting new plants in the ground and you're starting new seeds and it's an ongoing cycle. And I actually, I love that. And it's hard for me not to do that right now. And that's actually part of the reason why I started my business is because I started a lot of seeds mm-hmm. and I started way too many plants than you know <laughs> what I could personally grow in my garden. And I thought, you know what, I could sell these plants and I'm kind of a a habitual entrepreneur, I think you would say. (laughs) And so it fit well with my personality to do that. But um, the second thing about getting back to your question about Papua New Guinea is um, the rain. There was a lot more rain. It rained almost every evening. And Mm. I had to, um, I had to change my growing uh, habits in that way, so that things wouldn't get overwatered. And you also asked what I could grow there that I can't grow here. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that would be, well, avocados and pineapple (laughs) and mangoes and guavas and all all kinds of wonderful uh tropical food Mm. man but not probably apples is that correct oh right so apples i actually did start to miss them Hmm. because Um, apples require a winter cold season to bear the next year Yes, exactly. Okay. So um, apples huh. and grapes and uh, things like that, we would actually have to drive over the mountains um, to the next province where the bigger stores were, and they had imported produce from Australia. And so mm-hmm. it would be a big treat to get grapes or um, uh, apples from there. Oh, yeah, wow. Fascinating. Yeah. You get them for like 69 cents a bag here at like Aldi or whatever. Red <laughs> <laughs> grapes. I yeah. know. We, the things that we wow. take for granted. And of course, there we took pineapple for granted. We took mm. avocados for granted. But here we take apples and things like that for granted. And probably, yeah. I'm guessing now you miss properly ripe tropical produce because so much of what mm. we buy in the stores gets ripe in a truck or a warehouse somewhere. Yeah, it's so different. There's no comparison to a sun ripened pineapple versus a pineapple that ripened I still want on you a to palate. Try and make a comparison. Describe it mm-hmm. a little bit. It, it's so sweet. It's so much sweeter and mm. juicier and warm. It tastes warm. You can oh, taste the sunshine. Yes. Mm. Yeah. yes. Now I want pineapple. I know. I'm hungry now. <laughs> now, yeah. speaking as someone who spent time in Papua New Guinea when I was younger, too, one thing that I would love to ask you about about that experience, I promise we'll get over to the present time eventually, but this is just fascinating because gardening in Fort Wayne, Indiana versus gardening in Papua New Guinea is so different. But one thing I remember is that the national folks there, many of them are still sort of operating on a subsistence farming level, which Mm. sounds so impoverished and awful to our, you know, first world minds. And yet, tell us about the sort of uh, traditional gardening practices there and how sourcing food and eating is different in Papua New Guinea than it is here? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, you're you're right on as far as the subsistence farmers, pretty much for a, a great majority of the population in the highlands where we were located. Um, they, they truly grow what they eat and eat what they grow. And they go out and they harvest early in the morning what they're going to eat for that day. So you'll you'll be going along and you'll see these, you know, I imagine 80 year old grandmas, they're tiny and they're barefoot and they've got a big billum on their back full of sweet potatoes and cabbages Mm. and uh, kumu, all kinds of greens that they're 
carting back, they have to walk great distances to their gardens because they aren't right around their house like we would have here. They would go you know, through the trees and through the bush to the gardens and harvest what they needed, not only for themselves, but also for their livestock. So they also grow a lot of greens and things to feed to their pigs and chickens and such. So that was a, a normal uh, sight in the mornings as you'd see the old ladies coming in with all the produce from their gardens. Yeah, that doesn't sound awful to me. That actually sounds wonderful. I wish we could do that. No, they don't Um, have to rely on systems of uh, transportation for their food. They know right where it is. It's right there. And they're responsible mm -hmm. for their food supply. And there's there's a level of freedom that comes with that 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 we don't necessarily have here. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What did you learn as a gardener from people who have to garden to live? I learned an incredible respect for where our food comes from. And um, it's very easy to forget that. And I find myself, and we've only been back here for a couple of years now, and I find myself it's so easy to forget that, um, that somebody's got to grow the food. And it's, it's not right in your backyard. And so I think I think that's a big thing. I think I personally would like to get a little bit, even a little bit closer to that in my life and um, teach other people who value that how to do it as well. So that is one of the things that I, I love about uh, that. I've just gained a real respect for in my life with, for example, sewing has given me this great respect for the idea of where, where our clothes come from Mm. and the process that goes into that. And then the knowledge of with, things that are handmade on a small scale as opposed to at the very large factory level, the the amount of work and craftsmanship that goes into that. And um, the more you know about that, the more respect you have for the people who are actually involved in it at that at the at the ground level Um, (laughs) the grassroots level Uh, yeah it takes a lot more work you know there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than than we realize when we just see it hanging there on the rack in the big box store or whatever so so along the lines of what you learned are in general, are you self-taught with your gardening expertise or have you done any, have you taken any classes, anything that's, I don't know, would, would you describe yourself as self-taught? How did you, how did you get where you are today with what you Yeah, know? I would call, I would call myself self-taught in that, like I haven't gone to a master's gardener's program through an extension office or something like that. I haven't taken any college courses, but um, I have educated myself by reading a lot of books about soil health and um, the interconnectivity between um, plants and animals in the garden and watch a lot of YouTube university type videos. You can learn so much <laughs> They're so um, great. from oh, that. And, yeah. and then of course the, the best teacher of all is experience and you mm. learn a lot when, when you're through trial and error. So if you, plant things and you lovingly care for them and they don't do well, you want to know why. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's very motivating to find out what what you need to know to have a productive garden. Are you like me in that every time you're in church and you meet someone like in their 70s or 80s who still grows a garden and has their whole life that you are just pumping them for information? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. 
<laughs> it's and kind I, of embarrassing I, sometimes. <laughs> I, I've got to be careful about how I say it too. You know, I've got to gauge like how old this person actually is because I don't want to say, so tell me what it was like during the Great Depression. You know, like, oh, wait, I'm not that old. <laughs> but you know, that's, that's what I think of. I think, you know, tell me about the older days and they don't always know what the old days victory mean. gardens from World War World War yeah. II. Yeah, that would be <laughs> might might be a better Yeah, Victory Gardens. Like, Actually that so. brings me to one of my favorite <laughs> YouTube um documentaries was wartime farm it was a bbc type <gasps> show that's such talked, a good one yeah yeah so they talked a lot about how you know said uh during world war ii how they survived in the countryside in britain so learn a lot from that i too. need to watch that yeah wartime <laughs> garden and kitchen is that it it's wartime farm and i think they the same uh the same people the same historians that reenacted that also did like uh the so like Renaissance type farms and different Oh yes, time I watched periods. all of these. They are yeah. on Prime. Okay. Sorry, yeah. totally yeah. nerding out here. I was thinking of a different series that is on YouTube. Oh, okay. Um, that was more from the nineteen late eighties, early nineties. But you're oh, talking about no. Ruth Goodman, yes, yes. and her wonderful series of programs. <laughs> yes, Start with Tales from the Green Valley and work yes. your way forward. <laughs> yeah, and you'll oh yeah, I yeah. knew we'd be friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. So can I pivot from this? Do it. Go for it. Okay. You'd probably better. <laughs> so, I'm on Instagram, right? And there is sort of this this obsession with, and this is a family show, and so you can X this out later if you want. <laughs> it rhymes with the hashtag rhymes with food schmorn, which is a whole like other rant that I don't want to get into because I think that's yeah. a stupid term. But anyway, mm-hmm. like I my I guilty I pleasure is following that hashtag. So like I get all of these like, you know, gigantic slices of pizza and like these super like rich and indulgent photos of like cupcakes and donuts. And but I follow the something better with Beth Instagram and I see the photos that you you post and the recipes and the food pictures and I'm like I sit there and it's like cognitive dissonance because it's like in my feed giant piece of pizza followed by a recipe that you've posted followed by a gigantic ice cream cone and I'm like <laughs> man I really want that recipe that she's made it, like it I go to your insta feed and i just get hungry i'm like this looks so delicious oh great and it's like the cognitive dissonance is so real so i guess <laughs> my question for you is and this is an assumption does your does your love for food affect sort of what you grow and how you market mm-hmm. and like yes. the decisions that you make for sure definitely especially in my garden you know it would be silly to grow a bunch of things that my kids won't eat. And (laughs) that is why I am not growing an entire nine foot bed of chard this year, because (laughs) as beautiful as it looks and makes beautiful Instagram pictures, my kids don't eat it. Yeah. I can only dehydrate so much of it and have jars of dehydrated chard, which is no more useful than, you know, baskets of fresh chard when your kids want to eat it. So, mm. yes, um, definitely my personal taste helps me decide what to grow in the garden as well as uh, the microgreens that I grow. So uh, we love to make big salads. I love putting, mm. you know, some 
beautiful protein on top of a bowl full of salad. I like to make salads in big steel bowls because little, you know, cereal bowls are not big enough (laughs) for a salad because by the time you put all the toppings and layers and protein and dressing and it's all over the place and you want to stir it, right? The shrimp salad with the mozzarella and the capers right now. And I'm that just like, I wish I had that in my mouth hole Me right too. now. Like, <laughs> You're making good. me hungry. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad we're not the only family that uses gigantic steel mixing bowls yes. for our salad because we literally no. had that for dinner last night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned that you have kids because that's sometimes when I see your photos, my first thought is, do her kids eat that? I mean, my kids, they will eat any, almost any vegetable raw and especially if it's straight out of the garden. Like if you want your kids to eat vegetables, grow a garden because if they can pick peas or kale or cucumbers, whatever, they they eat it so much more happily. And it's just better. Not Not charred. charred. (laughs) I don't do charred either. Um, I'm with you there. But so what tips do you have for families who really want to make vegetable eating just a lifestyle for everybody, not just the mom? Oh, that's a great question. I think um, just having it out on the table, we we bring all the food to the middle of the table. And then we dish up our plates at the table after prayers. Um, So this, I think, really helps if it's just a staple, if it's just always there. Like we always have a mason jar full of a ferment. So like sauerkraut or uh, gardeneria or some kind of a ferment there. And I always, I'm always like, just have a little bit on your plate, just a little (laughs) bit. And some of them will just do the bare minimum and put a little bit on their plate. And some of them put a big pile and I'm not going to tell them no, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's good for their gut health. And Um, Same with vegetables and salads. So also the way that you prepare them. I think if you had steamed broccoli or boiled Brussels sprouts at the table, I think that's, you're not going to get as much buy-in than if you have, you know, know, like roasted in butter, Mm. crispy Mm. edges, nice and salty, you know, you're going to get a lot. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I'm getting hungry too. (laughs) Um, but definitely, yeah, the way that you cook it is going to help. This is also very encouraging for people who have food intolerances, who can't eat yeah. a lot of packaged, prepared food, to yeah. have this inspiration of if all I can eat is vegetable and protein, it doesn't have yeah. to be boring. It doesn't uh, have to be no. boiled Brussels sprouts because, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. It can be exciting and beautiful and something you can actually look forward to. Yeah, I I totally agree. And that is, I'm glad you said that because that's a large part of the way that our family eats. And that was before we went into the mission field. And it went really well in the mission field to eat vegetables, a lot of vegetables, fruit and protein. It was very simple. We didn't have, you know, the aisles upon aisles of packaged food available to us. We had a market down the road. We had what we grew and we had what we could truck in from the two hour drive over the mountains, you know, a couple times a month. So it it lent itself well to simple eating. And I, I want to continue that while we're back here. It just works well for mm-hmm. the family, making everything from scratch, mm-hmm. having a lot of seasonings on the um, on the counter and, um, and using them, <laughs> not just having them. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned the word protein because it brings me to another question I have to ask you. I know a lot of people have gotten into poultry in the last few years, but especially since coronavirus hit yeah. hard. In fact, I helped my dad start chickens last spring. 
you do quail though. How is I that? I have, yeah. Yeah, or do you do quail right now? I don't currently. Um, okay. I did have them for about a year in, in our detached garage. It started as a little homeschool project and uh-huh. it evolved from there and started selling the eggs. But since the microgreens business has grown, I've outgrown the room in my basement and we're redoing the garage. And microgreens growing and quail cages don't mix. They're, <laughs> they're rather That's dusty. a very astute observation. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so um, the quail had to mm-hmm. go onto a different home. So I would love to do them again in the future. Uh, but right now I'm just sticking with the microgreens in the garage. Yeah, that's a, a wise choice. You really don't want the quail dust all over your greens, which have to be washed no. gently, I assume. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. But they were wonderful while we had them. They were fun. I loved watching them. Mm-hmm. Their their little eggs are so cute and tiny. And some of my older Instagram pictures, you'll see a lot of those big salads and the steel bowls with the tiny little quail eggs in there. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the topic of microgreens, that's something that my mom got into and she okay. enjoys it also because she can grow those year round mm-hmm. um, and just harvest them. She grows them indoors on, she has just a little table set up and so then they get their own fresh microgreens for salads all winter long. I don't know. Do microgreens, do they have special powers? <laughs> I feel like they've got this extra mystique around them when I see them. They look special. Are they especially healthy? Why they, are they so They popular? are. Yeah. Well, they're, they're popular one because anybody can grow them. You don't have to have a big garden to have fresh uh, greens and produce year round when you, when you can grow some microgreens on your countertop. And, um, you know, they have little grow kits that you can find online and um, that come pre-seeded and stuff, or you can just do it yourself. You know, you can go to the health food store and get some sprouting seeds and just grow them in a slightly different manner um, to have microgreens. So the difference between sprouts and microgreens and seedlings or full-grown plants. Mm. Um, some people use those terms interchangeably. Sprouts are like what you would normally, you know, hippie moms would have the jars, uh, mason jars on the counter yep. with the sprout Annie growing in on there. Top. Yeah. <laughs> so those are sprouts <laughs> and um, those still have the seed, the little seed. So you eat the whole thing, the seed okay. and the sprout, everything together um, on sandwiches and stuff. So alfalfa sprouts and things like that. Um, microgreens are a little bit different. You actually grow those in soil on a tray and you cut it above, you know, you grow it until it's at the, um, the first leaves. So those are called cotyledons and you cut it above the soil. So you leave the seeds behind and you're eating those little, uh, well, microgreens, they're little. Mm. And, uh, it's at the point where you would probably plant it out in your garden, but instead you just cut them. (laughs) So you cut them off, you have them in your salad, and some people add them to the top of the salad. Some people create an entire salad purely of microgreens, and you can do either mm. one. They look like or little fairy plants, too. They're they cute. are. They're so cute. They are the cutest. Especially like the little sunflower mm-hmm. ones. Mm-hmm. They look like something that Totoro would carry around. Yes. <laughs> that is exactly right. <laughs> this has got to be the first Totoro <laughs> reference ever <laughs> on the Luke and Ladies Lounge podcast, but I really hope it won't be the last. Hashtag oh, momentous. Good. I love it. I am honored. No, but they are. And, and those are great because kids like sunflower microgreens because 
because they're kind of sweet, kind of nutty. And um, one of my favorite salads is like chopping apples with sunflower microgreens and a little bit of goat cheese. And that is delicious. Mm. Mm. So good. That sounds good. I've never had sunflower microgreens. I mean, I've grown sunflowers, but the sunflowers I've had, I would not have eaten anything except the seeds. (laughs) The greens on the sunflower are not very palatable. No, (laughs) no. Like the... The microgreen from a sunflower, I feel like it has a meatier Ooh. texture. Like the yeah. leaf itself is They're like crisp. a bit heftier. There's more yeah. of a bite to it. Some of the other microgreens are really, really, I don't know, really mm-hmm. delicate. Um, yeah. There's definitely a difference between, uh, and in the industry, they call them <laughs> shoots. <laughs> Mm. So things like uh, sweet peas mm-hmm. and sunflowers, those are the heftier ones. Those have a lot more um, thicker stems and meatier leaves. And so those are called shoots. Okay. And then the littler ones that you're talking about, they're a lot more delicate or like broccoli and beet tops uh-huh. and um, arugula and things like that. They're much more delicate. Mm. So I have a couple of questions and they're similar. So I'm just going to cluster them together. <laughs> First, so I under as I understand it, you are a seed catalog obsessive. I feel like that's a big yep. thing right now, right? Is that, yeah, is that seed correct? catalogs are wonderful. Okay, mm-hmm. so two questions: A, what do you like shopping for the most in the seed catalogs? And B, what do you like growing the most? And are they the same thing? Mm-hmm. They are the same thing, okay. and that would be tomatoes. Okay, mm. good woman. Yes. <laughs> tomatoes. <laughs> I love it. I wish, and that's actually probably the reason why I wish I had a more space more than anything besides animals. I want to have animals, but as far as garden space, I want to have much more room for tomatoes because they get so tall. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones that I like to grow, they're the indeterminate type of tomatoes and they get so tall. I need to have much more space. And mm-hmm. tomatoes, you can't cheat the space. I've tried no. that before, put too many in a bed and they just don't produce. Mm-hmm. So you're better yeah. off doing fewer plants with more space and you'll get more fruit. That was my experience yeah. at least. No, that's true. Yeah. And you'll get less disease pressure. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like tomatoes are fun. like really having a moment, at least from like a foodie perspective. Like it's not just like the round red tomatoes well, that. Well, no, how many varieties of tomatoes are there? Yeah. Like, let's talk about that. Are there seed catalogs devoted just to the tomato? How much time do yes, you spend hundreds. on this? There's, there's people out, out there that, it's it's their their lifelong dream to have a new tomato variety named after them. So they're they're breeding tomatoes, they're grafting tomatoes, they're doing all kinds of stuff. My favorite is is heirloom tomatoes. Yes. I like the big gnarly, chunky, different colored yes. ones. Yeah. yeah. The thing about tomatoes, before we change subjects, mm. is <laughs> I like to grow things and Beth, you're probably the same way, where there is a marked difference in quality between what you get at the store and what you get in the garden. And there is no vegetable that for me, there's a bigger difference Mm -hmm. than with tomatoes because Mm. the supermarket tomato is basically a different food than the garden one. Okay. It's not the same thing at all. And it's similar to what we said earlier about pineapples. You know, Mm -hmm. you can taste sunshine in homegrown tomatoes. Um, one of my favorite YouTubers, Jessica Soward, she she has the the phrase I want to give her credit. She says the grocery store tomatoes taste like disappointment. 
was going to go with cardboard, but disappointment works too. Same thing. It's, yeah. it's true. It really is. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad that rainbow tomatoes are now a thing because when I was a kid, I was not a fan of tomatoes, but like my tendency to eat actual vegetables increases significantly when it comes in a variety of rainbow colors like carrots yep, yep. tomatoes yep cauliflower fresh produce and rainbow colors yeah. oh purple man cauliflower. Purple, purple carrots cauliflower. were a game changer for our family oh, i love purple vegetables yeah. are just cool <laughs> yeah, I love it. yeah and they have different they, they have a different nutrient mm-hmm. profile because you know when they say eat the rainbow it's not just a fun saying it's true because you're, there's a lot more phytochemicals and different things that that treat your body body differently when you have different colors in your tomatoes and your um i think it's anthocyanins i can't pronounce that it. sounds oh right you could edit that but, uh <laughs> the anthocyanins that create the purple color in, pur- in purple carrots and tomatoes and um root vegetables beets different things so like much that science. and it's it's very healthy mm. for you yeah it's just it looks nicer. So we're much more and that brings us back to kids, you know, getting kids to eat things. Um, when it looks appealing, they're much more likely to try it. So And I am a child. <laughs> <laughs> all ages. Yeah. All ages. It's true. So how much like all of God's children. How much food science do you know now just from right. doing all this gardening for so like you're throwing out some big words. <laughs> well, I didn't pronounce it right. <laughs> but you still know the words. I read it. <laughs> Yeah, it sneaks up on you. It really does. (laughs) So I am curious, like when you say garden, people tend to either veer towards flower gardening Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. vegetable gardening. And obviously you are a vegetable gardener. Yeah. But can vegetable gardens be beautiful as well? Is that one of their purposes or is that like a side benefit what are your thoughts on gardening for beauty when you're doing vegetable gardening? Well, it can definitely be intentional. And and I, and I don't want to say that one type of garden is more beautiful than others, but they are. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason that I say this is because, you know, there is a beauty, and I think it depends on your personality too. There is a beauty of straight rows of all one thing being the same, you know, like what what we think of the the victory garden, where it's just rows of cabbage, rows of corn, all in one one line. And then there's a different kind of beauty of a mishmash of everything mixed here. You've got a cabbage here and uh, a tomato here and basil here and onions here. And that's my kind of beauty. And I think it's not only does it represent feeding your family, which is beautiful and wonderful and such a blessing to be able to do that. Um, But it also is visually appealing and is also healthier for the garden because, you know, when you mix things up, pests that come along and they're looking Mm -hmm. for your tomatoes get distracted by the smell of the basil. And they're like, why is that onion there? I'm looking for a tomato. (laughs) And then they go somewhere else. And so it's healthier for your garden as well to mix things up and interplant. And so I would say that that in my mind, it's a beautiful garden, but really any any kind of garden has its own beauty. It's it's part of creation. It's part of the gift that God's given us mm. to feed our families and to to tend the earth and to steward the earth. And that is beautiful no matter what it looks like on the outside. I catch a so. lot of flack from my kids on this. They're like, Mom, you're so mercenary. Does everything in the garden have to be edible? And I say, well, yes, because yes. flavor is beautiful. But also... 
<laughs> you don't have to choose. I Right now, I've got my kale is going to seed with these beautiful little yellow blossoms. I've got yeah. squash and zucchini blossoms, giant yellow flowers that are as pretty as anything you can buy elsewhere. And then don't get started. I mean, peas blossoms, scarlet runner beans. I mean, you don't have to choose between vegetables and flowers. Any Almost anything except root vegetables that turns into a vegetable starts as a flower. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure where the conflict is. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's no conflict. And if you th- and even if you think of things that most people don't eat um, as far as flowers, like nasturtiums, which I actually eat nasturtiums, mm. but most people don't. Like what? <laughs> yeah. Nas- okay, nasturtiums. They're have you seen them? They're they're great for pollinators. They have round leaves that actually look, look like, like a little umbrella. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Like uh, lily lily pads, and they have all kinds of colors, and you can eat the leaves, you can eat the flowers, mm-hmm. you can put them on salads and make them more beautiful. But they attract pollinators like you wouldn't believe, and they're just they spread out and they're glorious in the garden. Mm. So really, there's so many flowers that even if you can't eat them, so zinnias or th- something like that. And those, you know, I do dabble in a few flowers. I like them to be practical. Mm. I like them to attract pollinators. Mm. Um, but they also do, of course, lend some beauty to the garden. So my my next question is: so we talked, we've talked about growing things and having quail, and it's like, are there any other hobbies that sort of align with those activities that you do? One thing that comes to mind that is pretty popular at our at our church is like beekeeping. Like, mm-hmm. is there any oh, other sort yeah. of I'm going to call it a homesteading hobby mm-hmm. that yeah. that you yeah. do. Well, I don't have bees currently. There's there's things that I have done in the past that I'm not doing now, such as keeping rabbits, mm. which really melds well with having a garden because their manure really? is great I for the garden. Rabbits you don't have like to a mortal constant. enemy of all gardeners. <laughs> no. They meld well. well. You're you're talking about wild rabbits that go in and eat your stuff. I'm talking about nice, docile, domesticated rabbits that stay where they're supposed to stay and only eat the greens that you give them. Tell it. Um, okay. okay. And create yes. many helpful fertilizing things. Yes. Yes. So in, in that way, they, they work well with the garden. Um but yeah, bees, I would love to have bees at some point. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot of restrictions that come mm-hmm. with having a suburban homestead, a suburban lot, but um, there's still so much that you can do. I mean, I could theoretically put a beehive back mm. there, but I just, right now I'm in the process of growing my business. I only have kind of spread thin. I enjoy being spread thin, I guess, because I always do it to myself. <laughs> so apparently I enjoy it. I thrive on the stress, but I, I could fit a beehive back here. I could fit rabbits. I just don't want to fight with my neighbors. So there are restrictions <laughs> that come from having a small uh, city lot, but there's there's still so much you can do. You can You can have container gardens. You can... Yeah, you should just be creative and still produce a surprising amount of food in a small so space. So let me ask you this then. Let's this. I'm throw this hypothetical out at you. (laughs) Suppose you have reached the peak of like a sustainable business model, right? And sky's the limit in terms of resources. If you could, if you had a limitless amount of time, energy, and money, like what would your dream garden look like? That is very interesting. Well, it wouldn't be a garden. It would be a full-blown home. Ah. I would have I would have little cows, sheep, Ugh. not goats. <laughs> little um, cows? 
like yeah you could have like mini jerseys type I, that is my dream palette ah <laughs> <laughs> so you it would give you a reasonable amount of milk okay. so that you wouldn't feel like you had to suddenly go into the dairy business you know enough for uh-huh. a family and oh my gosh, they're cute as um, heck too. I, I know. Picture. <laughs> they have the big. Someday when Ken retires, that's like going on my list. He, well, he's known about this milk, for at least five years. More in cuteness. And the milk is like <laughs> half butter, Brie. Yeah, it's super super rich. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I derailed us with the mini cows. Keep going. So the mini cows, goats. So mini cows, definitely rabbits. Um, I would have chickens for eggs, but also mainly for compost because I'm passionate about yes. compost of all things to be passionate about. But we had a really wonderful compost system in Papua New Guinea. It was made out of uh, cinder blocks and it was three bays. Mm-hmm. And every morning my kids took buckets full of kitchen scraps out and dumped it in the compost. Wow. And all of the garden waste went in the compost that didn't go through rabbits. And it just went from bay to bay to bay and directly right back out onto the garden. And it was was wonderful. And that's something that takes space. And I don't have room for that here. So that leads me to my next question. Now, I've had big gardens. I've had little gardens. Currently, I'm living on a naval base with a postage stamp yard where I'm not allowed to put in any new beds. I can put stuff in the current beds. Mm. So what you see a lot in in my lifestyle, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are sort of in this, is the container gardens, the really Mm -hmm. small space urban gardens. I think I used to have this idea that if you wanted to be a gardener, you had to have a large square of dirt to play with. And I've had that and it's fun. But now my husband's career does not allow that. And in fact, I may even have less dirt to play with, you know, after our next move this summer. How would you prioritize? What advice could you give? How can I, this makes me sad. (laughs) Make me happy. (laughs) I can identify with that completely. You know, the feeling of yearning for more than what you have at the moment. And, um, one of the things that that always gives me comfort is um, focusing on what I can do with the space I have. And in a space that you're talking about where it's mainly container gardens, it's not as much land, it's not, you can't do row mm-hmm. crops. I would focus on the things that, one, give you the most joy, the things that that taste so much better coming from your garden than from the grocery store, like we talked about earlier. Also, um, from a more practical standpoint, things that are more expensive in the stores. Mm -hmm. So Sally greens by the pound are actually pretty expensive in the store. You can buy potatoes and even tomatoes and things pretty inexpensively, but Sally greens and the more uh, specialty items, I would put more time, my, my little bit of Mm -hmm. garden space into things like that. Things that give you a more, uh, from an economical perspective, a more of a return on your investment for the space that you have. And that's what I would focus on. Yeah. Herbs. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, what a great way to up your, your cooking is mm. with fresh, mm-hmm. fresh herbs. You can just go out and pick it and chop it and add it to your stew or soup. And it just, it's going to be an intense flavor as compared to something that you're going to get off the shelf. dried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, <So. laughs> no, I know. Is it lunchtime? <laughs> Almost. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you. That sort of, uh, that's encouraging, I guess. <laughs> I, but that's, that's, hey, if you have a garage, you can put quail yeah, in there. I, that's probably against housing regulations. But <laughs> it probably is. 
specified chickens, but they might not have specified quail. Possibly. Right. Because quail are pets. Yeah. And what you don't see, you can't. Yeah. Find you those loopholes, girl. Fair enough. <laughs> so if I'm going to drill down yeah. even further, let's say you have. Because I know we have a lot of people who are listeners who are apartment or condo dwellers. Let's say you Mm -hmm. have a patio and you have room for six or eight big pots on your patio and that's it. If it's your patio, what's going in them? Like where do you get the most food bang for your buck? Okay. If I had a patio like that, I would have a lot of herbs. And um, because I have been in that situation before and I would also find like plants that have a smaller uh, grow pattern. So like a patio Mm. tomato, they have ones that don't Mm. get that big that you don't need to have in your own eight foot Mm. trellis to to grow, but you can still add that fresh sunshiny taste to your salads. You can also get small uh, petite dwarf size pea plants and uh, cucumber plants. So you can do a lot of the same things that you would do in a large garden, um, just in a smaller space. You just get a taste of it rather than getting to make a lot of your diet (laughs) out of it. But still, a taste is so much better than nothing. It is, for sure. It's definitely worth doing. So for someone who has never gardened before and has not eaten anything that I've grown other than the accidental squash plant that grew out of our compost uh, (laughs) two years ago, which was hilarious, and they were delicious, by the way. Um, (laughs) how, How do I even, like start where do I get a seed catalog and like overwhelm myself with all the possibilities (laughs) you could you could also ask friends for extra seeds Mm. you know a lot of people who who um, are seed catalog addicts (laughs) might have extra seeds that they could share that they would be thrilled to share with you because they've got so many and they might alleviate some of their feelings about having so many seeds by sharing. We'd be enabling them and then yarn buying for people. They just yeah, yes. they're like, oh yes, <laughs> well, well, because oh let me just look at my stash, my seed stash. <laughs> yeah, bring out these these stacks. <laughs> um, But that's the thing. People who are passionate about something love to share that passion with others. So find somebody who can mentor you and who'd be willing to share their experiences, their seeds, and, um, and give you some, some tips, uh, so that's, that's how you start. grew yeah. part of your business. And I've done the same thing. I had to throw out seedlings this year because I planted too many that I had space for. You just turned that into another facet of something better with Beth. Yeah. Well, that's how oh, it started. Okay. Yeah. So something better with Beth wasn't a thing until last spring, about this time, I had so many tomatoes and peppers and things started that I decided to do a little plant sale. And uh, that morphed once gardening season was over, I decided I would use the space that I was growing garden starts to do uh, greens, mixed greens. And so I started growing way too many greens. And I thought, oh, I know, I'll bag these up because it's so good and uh, share with people. And I thought, well, I'll just do a delivery thing because I had some ladies who were interested in the greens. I was like, well, I'll just bring you a bag of greens a week and you'll pay me for it and you'll have awesome salad every week. Mm. And they said, okay. And so that's how that started. And that was, I think, when I started the name Something Better with Beth. Um, I think my husband and I were talking about a name and he said, well, what about best, best plants? And I was like, well, no, no. And he, he came out with a whole bunch of other ideas. And I said, well, I need something better. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, something better with Beth. And, and I don't know. It's, 
It is what it is. <laughs> it I like it. And then when the salad greens stopped, I kind of segued into uh, broccoli microgreens because I had read about how incredibly healthy broccoli microgreens were. They have a, a compound in them, uh, sulfur. I think is the name. And that's a, a great anti-cancer uh, chemical that is found in high levels in broccoli sprouts, um, much higher levels than like a full-grown mm-hmm. broccoli plant or leaves. <laughs> and so I was researching that and I decided to start growing broccoli microgreens and putting them in smoothies for my family and me. And then that just rolled right into how many microgreens can I grow? <laughs> and so then it started taking over my entire uh, my entire space down there. I, I fell out of love with the, the mixed salad greens. And I asked my customers, I said, hey, would you want to switch over to these microgreens? And they all seemed open to that. So I did. I switched over to that. And what you know started as three ladies I was delivering salad greens to has turned into about 40 people around Fort Wayne that I deliver wow. microgreens to. So... That is just in since wow. January. Wow. So, Have yeah. you thought about yeah. outsourcing like restaurants? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's part of why I'm growing. Uh, I'm going into the garage is because the space that I had set aside in my basement is just I'm right. I'm full. And uh, so I need the new space. And so I'm, I'm not willing to really go after chefs and farmers markets and misfit market boxes on all of those things that are possibilities for me until I can, until yeah. I can follow through on it and nice. I need more space to be able to do that. So that's so cool. Mm-hmm. You've brought up God and his creation a couple of times in the last 45 ish minutes. <laughs> Does your faith sort of pervade everything that is involved with this business and and just gardening in general? Well, I mean, yes, in in an overarching way, I I don't use my business as a platform to to share my faith. But in my mind, and in my heart, it is a way that I provide for my family, um, in partnership with my husband. So our family has goals to be able to uh, get a piece of land, have a hobby farm that we've talked about. And uh, our family spends a lot of time together we've we, you know with our mission work and homeschooling and all the lockdowns that happened with covid um we've always spent a lot of time together and we want to continue that as my children grow uh we like working together we like playing together we like worshiping together um we want to be able to stay close enough to be um part of our church no matter where we go because that's very important to us our church mm-hmm. is our home is our family um so these are all part of our goals as a family and with our faith. And so everything is connected in that way. I would say so for sure. How do you find creativity in all of this? And what, what kind of creativity do you pull into this? How do you find yourself being creative with gardening and, and laying things out and the, your business stuff and obviously the photography and the Instagram? Where does, where does creativity play a role in all of these different aspects of what you do? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, part of it is just enjoying the visual aspect. So like all the different varieties of tomatoes that I like to grow, um, that is that comes with creativity. I love the way it looks, you know, putting together a salad, um, putting together a microgreen sampler that all, you know, there's all these different 
um, greens that look beautiful together and the way that they're stacked in a container is is lovely. And I think, you know, well, what would I like to receive if I was you know, spending money on a package of microgreens? Would I want to have them all mixed together or would I like them, you know, just laid out separate but looking beautiful in the package? And so that all um, informs the way that I uh, create my packaging. I want to be able to see everything. I, I don't want it to be, you know, a paper packaging where you can't tell what's inside of it. I want it to be see-through. I want the label to be clear, easy to read. All of that goes into it. The pictures, I want to have them as bright as possible. It takes a lot of practice and false starts, but <laughs> I like the way that the result looks. And yeah, you just keep tweaking and it's, uh, it's, it's a, a nice creative outlet, I would say. Well, Maybe for for wrapping up, Beth, gardening is something that obviously you can go from starting it as a true, complete novice to being very advanced master gardener. Like there's a whole spectrum of skill and uh, devotion to the hobby that you might want to put into it and or actual business. But from the novice side of it, is it truly an entry-level sort of hobby? Is this something that somebody can can do? Yeah, may, they're like, yeah, I have the space, but I don't really know how to do it. Is it actually an attainable hobby that somebody can start into without going to a class and just do it? Is that a realistic thing? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think um, the last year or so has really shown us that I think there's been a huge uptick in beginning gardeners and um, because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And I think that just goes to show that you can you can just get a book from the library, you can watch a few YouTube videos, um, and grab a few seeds, get some starts from the garden center, there is no one right way to get started. Um, the best way to do it is to just start. And you will figure out what appeals to you. Do you like having things in the straight rows? Do you like mixing things together? Do you like things started from seeds so you can watch them grow and um, get the variety of things that you can find in a catalog? which is so much more than what you can find at a big box store, Lowe's or whatever. But I would just say get started. It's definitely something that you can do very easily. A good beginner's book is an oldie but goodie is uh, The Square Foot Gardening by mm. Mel Bartholomew. That is, I think, probably one of the first gardening books that I ever picked up. And I think it's a place where a lot of people start because it's so is so easy to do. It's so easy to think about, you know, what, what, how many plants can I put in a square foot? And uh, that can be applied to container gardening. It can be a, applied to an acre garden. You know, you can, you can scale it. So I would say just start it. Then one other question along those lines, how much of a community is there a, around the topic of gardening? I get the sense that there's a fairly significant one, but it's not a community I'm part of. Is gardening something that you can do just on your own if you want, but if you are also really interested in the communal aspect of let me be able to talk with other people who love this hobby as well, I get the sense that gardeners love to talk about their gardens. <laughs> yes. Yes. You you are right on there. Yeah. Um, a great way to start finding community. I mean, you can look at social media. There's groups on Facebook for your local area. If you just type in your city and say garden, you'll see things that pop up. Um, you can also look and see if there's, you know, a lot of times through 
libraries, you'll see in the springtime seed swaps. So you can mm. look and see if there's going to be a seed swap in your area. And even if you don't have anything to bring to the table, go and you'll meet your people. You'll meet people that will take you under the wing and say, hey, try this, try this. Mm -hmm. This is a cucumber that I've been growing and saving seeds for the last 20 years. You've got to try it. <laughs> and, you know, if you find people that have been growing and saving seeds in your area, you're going to find seeds that are uh, uniquely adapted to your little microclimate in your part of the country. And you're just going to have a higher level of success. Mm. And you'll find people that will mentor you and and take you under their wing. You'll find that community. It's it's pretty easy to do. You just say, hey, I like gardening. Who else likes Maybe. gardening? And people will come. I, I am so happy for you that you've found joy in this. And I really hope oh. that in my lifetime, we like I'm obsessed that you said this, but in my lifetime, I hope we get a Beth Ritzman tomato. Like that's, that's what I want. For <laughs> I really, okay, I really hope Okay, now you've got me so. thinking. Well, that would <laughs> yes. be. Yes. Plant the seed. Be the, you plant the seed. Pun intended. Yeah, you're you're a thought gardener. Okay, but right. if there's a Beth Ritzman tomato, it needs to be true to seed so that I can buy one packet of seeds and then save the seeds every year and have the same tomato come back. I know that's even harder, but <laughs> yes, I would absolutely love to have a Beth Ritzman tomato. Okay. All right. Cool. I'll have to think about that. <laughs> yeah, it would take some time, but it's a good and worthy goal. <laughs> Thank you for, for bringing it up. <laughs> Oh, boy. And I do want to throw out one more resource that I know has been helpful for us in uh, being in Missouri. Uh, there are extension services through universities. I know the Missouri University of Missouri Extension Service has been super duper helpful for us researching. We just bought three acres of land last fall. And so we're planning how we're going to garden and what we're going to do with all of our land. So that extension service yeah. has been really useful for us. And I know there's other ones too. Um, Cause that you yeah. mentioned your microclimate, you do have to kind of know the climate and the soil and, and all of this kind of stuff for your garden to be successful. So there's some research that goes into it, but yeah, yeah. extension yeah. services are also helpful. So before we before we leave, Beth, uh, where can we find? We've mentioned your Instagram like several times. Mm. So where else? Where can we find you on social so that we can all look at how beautiful <laughs> your microgreens are? <laughs> Thanks. Yes. Well, I have I have a website. It's somethingbetterwithbeth.com. And that is a place where you can see some uh, pictures and some backgrounds as well as, you know, how, how the business works. There's also Facebook and MeWe under Something Better With Beth. And I think that's about it besides Instagram. Yeah. Fantastic. And if you're in Fort Wayne, you should come to my plant sale. Hey, I know <laughs> we have listeners in Fort Wayne. Yes. I know. Yes. <laughs> if I were in Fort Wayne, I would be at your plant sale. Oh, I would love to see you. <laughs> Probably also be on your delivery route. <laughs> oh. What are the details of the plant sale? Let's, pr oh, let's plug the, this. Okay, let's plug this. Okay, so my plant sale is since my deliveries for microgreens are on Saturdays, my plant sales are on Sundays after church. So from like noon to two Sundays, people can come hang out in my driveway with me and look at my plants. <laughs> and um, there's a lot of people who say, oh, Sundays don't work for me. So I'm doing an honor system as well. And that's the first, this is the first year I'm doing honor system for people who can't come during my very small business hours for the plant sale. And details on that are on my Facebook as well. Fantastic. Beth, it has been super duper fun having <laughs> you in the ladies lounge today to talk about Yay. creativity and gardening and food. So thank you. We're all so much. <laughs> yes, we're all going to go eat lunch now. Uh, <laughs> salad in a steel bowl. 
<laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really fun. Well, thank you ladies for having me. So you can join our group on Facebook, ladies. Uh, we want to know about your gardens, whether or not you're going to now go plant your own microgreens or eat big, big salads. Join our group on Facebook and tell us all about your love of food as well. Join that group, the Lutheran Ladies Lounge. You can also find us on Instagram at Lutheran Ladies Lounge. Share your stories with us there too. If you tag us, we we will probably also share it in our story. You can find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Aaron. I'm about as useful as a nine foot bed of chard. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm hungry. <laughs> Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies' Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge. Wow, under 60 minutes. Woohoo! By like five seconds. That's amazing. <laughs> Did we actually come to the end of our questions i think so oh i mean i could go on all day because <laughs> i know okay um this is this probably completely cut this out beth have you seen um biggest little farm <laughs> biggest little farm it sounds familiar is the that documentary a about no. the couple in california okay i think i've heard of it but i haven't seen it. you gotta see it you would okay. love it my dad okay. watched it with me last year during lockdown, and he he had always been a traditional plants in rows, use yeah. your fertilizer, you know, buy your seedlings at the at the garden center kind of gardener. But he watched this, and he's like, "Oh, well, maybe there is a different way to do it in terms of like, you know, pairing plantings and animals with plants mm-hmm. and the symbiotic relationships between that." Anyway, oh, that um, sounds right up my alley. I'm yes. gonna have to. Up. Thank it is you. so good. And it's got a lot of heart too. So, okay.